You know what brings me pressure in my life? It's when things don't work right, when things don't function right. I've got my awesome string trimmer here with me. This thing has been fantastic. So many people ask me about it that I put the model number for this Ego trimmer right there in the notes for you so you can see it. And I've also got the string. This string will cut down trees. I got it from Virginia Power. It's on Lee Highway in Maryville. You want to check it out. Now, here's the thing about the string trimmer. I have had a bunch of string trimmers in the past, and uh, you're supposed to be able to, you know, do it, and, and you can just bang down on this while the, while the string is like spinning around, just hit down and more string will come out. Well, that doesn't work. At least it didn't work in the other string trimmers I got. And so about every 60 seconds, I had to stop, had to take this whole apparatus off, had to have more string come out, and I would work for 60 seconds, and then I would work on this for five minutes. So I'm only working for 60 seconds, and for five minutes, I'm having to fix this thing. It was so frustrating, and I bought trimmer after trimmer after trimmer, same thing, same thing. Finally, I got the Ego. And for the most part, it works great. Power is awesome, incredible power. This thing has been phenomenal. I love it. So here we go. Um, I don't like it when things don't function right. When relationships don't work right, it causes me pressure. It causes me stress. When uh, parts of our body don't work right, when the world doesn't work right, stress. Today we're doing John chapter 9. This man's eyes weren't working right. And so that's a problem. I remember my father-in-law, Big Russ, for a long time, we kept saying, you got to get hearing aids. You can't hear. He'd say, What? And he would always, you know, we talked to him, he's like, ah, because he couldn't hear us. Finally got hearing aids, and then one day he's sitting at his kitchen table, he's talking to somebody on the phone, he's eating some peanuts, and he accidentally grabbed his hearing aid, popped it in his mouth, broke the thing immediately. Okay, this is a story about a man whose eyes weren't working right, and Jesus reverses the pressure when things are not functioning right. That's what the story is about today. I'll tell you one other thing, because the Gospel of John is great with this. This double meaning, there's spiritual blindness, there's physical blindness, there's practical solutions, there's supernatural solutions, and we need both. John brings both of them together, and we're going to bring both of them together in this story as we look at it this today. So let's read John chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, that is a very common question. People still ask me to this day, John, Am I going through this tough time because I sinned? Is God punishing me? In the day that this was written, right? When this was written, that was a very common belief. People thought that everything that happened in their life that was negative was because they had sinned and done something wrong and God was punishing them for that. I think about that myself sometimes even today. I think oh, something's going wrong. Like, oh man, is God punishing me? And people still ask me that question. As I said, is God punishing me? There's this great quote. It's uh, from Albert Hubbard. He's a 19th century philosopher. And he says this, think about this. Think about this. It's interesting. We are punished by our sins, not for them. We are punished by our sins, not for them. You know what? That's really true. And that really brings together what the Gospel of John is saying, this idea of spirituality and practicality. Jesus is wisdom. Wisdom is practical. Wisdom is about how life works. How does it function? So if I ignore that, if I do things like the sin of pride, pride goes before a fall. I should read that a whole lot more often. When I show pride, I invariably have a big problem. I am punished by my sins. I've chosen pride and now pride is punishing me. 
when we do things, lie, cheat, steal, whatever, whatever, we're punished by that, by the very things that we chose. We're not being punished by God. We're being punished by choosing things that are not of God. Now, Jesus kind of clears things up for us, but in the process of clearing things up, it seems like we get ourselves into another problem, and I want to explain that. So Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Ah, yes, okay, great. That's awesome. So he clears that up, but then he goes on to say this, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him, and that almost makes it seem like God made him blind so God can come along later and open his eyes and everybody say, yay, God. But that's not exactly what's going on. I want to explain that in a moment, but let's finish reading verses 4 and 5. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So let me see if I can clear this up. A New Testament scholar, Dr. Gary Berg, has said this about it. Now, I've read about it. I'm going to read the way he has rewritten this to give us a more accurate understanding from the Gospel of John of what's going on. I'm going to try not to get too, actually, I'm not going to get technical at all because that's above my pay grade, but let me just read this. Neither this man nor his parents, said Jesus. Okay, so we're good with that. But here's where it continues on. This has a lot to do about the purpose clause that's in this. But so that the work of God might be displayed in his life, we must do the work of him who sent me while it is still day. So the inflection here, and in every other case in the Gospel of John, this is the same way we see it playing out, okay, in the language, is that things are not functioning right for this man. He is blind. He, his sin didn't make him this way. God has not said, okay, you sinned, I'm going to make you this way, okay. But what God has said is, things aren't functioning right. Things are meant to function better, and now we, Jesus says, we, we must do the work. We must come together hand in hand with God and to reverse this problem from a non-functioning place to a place that's meant to work the way that it's supposed to work because God really wants things to work right. That's what that is all about. Now, I want to, we're going to get more into that in just a second, okay? But let's read verses six and seven. After saying this, he spit on the ground. Jesus spits on the ground. He made some mud with the saliva, put it on a man's eyes, said, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seen. Mud and spit. Gross, man. Do you remember when Rocky and the Rocky movies had to carry the spit buckets? Oh, that's disgusting. But mud and spit, what is this all about? Why is Jesus making mud? What? spitting, he's making mud, and then putting all that grossness all over this man, tells him to go to the pool, wash, and then he comes home saying, what exactly is going on here? Well, to figure this out, everybody, we've got to go back to the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, and I know what you're saying. You're saying, John, again, the Genesis thing, but John is the second Genesis of the Bible, so we've got to go back there, and in Genesis 2-7, we're told that Adam is made of dirt. He's made of dirt. Men are made of dirt. Does anybody have a problem with that? Some people are like, yeah, men are made of dirt. Now, women, Eve, refined humanity, but men are made of dirt. For some reason, I'm just okay with that. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Men are made of dirt. That just seems all right to me. I remember my dad told me that his younger brother, my uncle, my Uncle Ray, said when he was a little boy, he used to go out front, he had a spoon, and he would just spoon up dirt. And he'd, I'm like, man, that's, I like that. I think that's kind of cool, right? That's just cool, dirt. Okay, but what does dirt represent in the book of Genesis? Dirt 
represents mortality. In the Bible, dirt, mud, dust. We are dust. That represents mortality. There is death and there is decay. Adam and Eve are dying. Things are moving from a functioning, whatever level of function they are, to a non-functioning state as things break down, as we can't walk as well as we could, as we can't hear, as we can't see, that we are on the path towards dying. That's what dirt represents. They are in a hopeless state of death and dying and decay. What do you feel hopeless about? What is it in your life that you feel hopeless about? Do you feel hopeless about your relationships in your life? Do you feel hopeless about the situation that the world is in and all the injustice that's going on? Do you feel hopeless about marriage? Do you feel hopeless about ever retiring? Do you feel hopeless about kids? And how about FOMO? How about the fear of missing out? We have this hopelessness and social media just fans the flames of FOMO in our lives. I'll never go there. I'll never do that. I'll never eat there. I'll never look like that. I'll never vacation there. They'll never invite me to that party. I'll never, I'll never, I'll never, never. I'm going to miss out. I'm going to miss out. Life is passing me by and I'm going to die. I'm going to miss out on so much. We are filled with hopelessness. We are filled with this fright and this fear that we are going to miss out on so many things. And we feel that pressure because things aren't working right. They're not working as the way they're supposed to be working. And then Jesus takes the death and decay, the dirt, and he spits in the ground and he gets his hands all down in the dirt and then he puts it all on the man. What's going on there? We see Jesus putting his hands, getting down in things that, things that he's not supposed to get into. Like We're told in the scriptures, stay away, don't touch people who have disease. And then he touches the leper. Stay away from these type of people. Don't go near that race of people. Stay away from death, right? All of these things. And then Jesus, wow, he just dives right in. He dives into things because those things represent the things that aren't functioning right in this world. Death, disease, dying, decay, racism, injustice, all of this stuff that isn't working right, isn't working his way, and he just dies right in and he reverses those things around because that's his way of doing things. So when you see Jesus doing those things that even the law says don't touch a leper and he touches a leper, it's because he is God. And God is all about reversing things. So I want to read to you 1 Corinthians 15, 17. It's very important. I have misread it for years. I feel like after a lot, a lot of study, I have a much better understanding of this. I read it wrong. I want to read it to you, explain this, and then tell you where this is going with the fuller understanding of who, of who God is, of who Jesus is. 15, 17. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. Now, I always read that. You better believe in the resurrection. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you don't believe Jesus came out of that tomb on Sunday morning, Easter morning, 2,000 years ago, your faith is useless. But that's not what it's saying because that's not the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What it's saying is that God is a restorer, not a destroyer, that God has made a covenant, a binding covenant with his creation, his cosmos, and that he is always going to reside here. It's not going to go away. He's never given up on his creation. He's never given up on you. He's never given up on me. He is a restored. And if you're walking around saying, it's going to burn, it's all going to burn, it's all going to burn, he's going to destroy it all. 
In that hopeless misunderstanding, Paul says your faith is useless. You have misunderstood what the resurrection represents. The resurrection is the cherry on top of the big Sunday saying that God is a restorer and renewer of all things, and the resurrection proves it because here is Jesus restored. He gets down into the dirt. He's willing to get his hands all dirty, if need be, to get down in the mud and to reverse things that are death and dying and decay. So I want to use the word mud, M-U-D, as our guide today, as our path. What's the M stand for? The M stands for you need to move towards Jesus. So, so many Bible scholars would tell us that this man who had his eyes open is the perfect, the perfect person to show of this this progression towards understanding who Jesus Christ is. Because in the beginning, in verse number 10, they say to him, okay, well, how did you, how did you, you were blind your whole life. How is it that you're seeing? He says, well, the man that they called Jesus. He didn't even know who Jesus is. The man that they called Jesus. He put some mud on my eyes and he healed me. I, 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 he's this man called Jesus. Well, you get a seven verses later, verse number 17. He's like, well, Jesus, Jesus is a prophet. So he's gone from, he's just a man they called Jesus. He's made some progress here. He's a prophet. And by the time you get to the end of the story, in verse number 38, he says, Jesus, you are God. And he begins to worship him. Look, salvation, this revelation doesn't have to happen in this moment like that. But there is a progression. God knows we have to move towards understanding and understanding. And the more we learn about Jesus, the more we want to follow Jesus. Because really, that's what it's all about. You think about the things that Jesus Christ is famous for, love and joy and peace and forgiveness and praying for his enemies. He's up on the cross. He's been treated with terrible injustice. Like, I forgive you. My arms open wide to you. We think about that. If we live that way, if we tamp down our pride, if we got rid of our pride, wouldn't the world work better? Wouldn't your life better? My life work better? If I just implemented the things, if I made famous the things that Jesus made famous in my own life, my life would function better. And when I don't, it's death and decay. We need to move toward Jesus. And that's exactly what this man did. Adam and Eve in the garden, everybody. Think about this. They're in the garden. They got a tree of life in the middle of the garden, right? The tree at the very center, we're told. In other words, their lives should center on God. Our lives should center on Jesus Christ. We should move towards Jesus Christ. What do they say? No, no, we don't want to center. We don't want to center. They move away, and that's when everything stops functioning the way it's supposed to function. That's where all the breakdown happens. That's where all the pressure happens. Are you moving towards Jesus? And what is keeping you from moving towards Jesus? We are told that the Pharisees, at the end of all this, that they said, you know what? We, we're, we're, we're not interested in you, Jesus. We, we think everything you've done, we, you have healed this man on the Sabbath day. You shouldn't have done this on the Sabbath day. Uh, we're, we're totally against you, Jesus Christ. So they're against Christ. They don't want to move towards him. Was it because they didn't have enough proof? Because people say from me to time to time, you know, John, I'd like to believe in Jesus, but I don't have enough proof. Well, for the Pharisees, they had plenty of proof. They saw Jesus, his teaching, the things that he did, the miracles, they had plenty of proof. Their problem wasn't proof. Their problem was pride. Their problem wasn't proof. Their problem was pride. They had too much pride. And in my life, there's so many times when things, I break them down. They don't function right. My house doesn't work right. My, my life doesn't work right. You know why? Not because of not proof. I know if I choose God, if I choose the way of Jesus, they're going to work better. It's my pride that keeps me. It's my pride. There's, there's a place in Israel. It's called the Dead Sea. It's the lowest place on the face of the earth. Awesome. I hope everybody takes a visit to Israel sometime. It is just such an amazing place of history and learning. Awesome. But the Dead Sea is the lowest place on the earth. It is dead. 
It is dead. And when I went there my very first time with my seminary, this is years ago, I spent two weeks there with my seminary, with a class was there. I was away from Krista. I'm thinking to myself, what can I get to bring my wonderful, beautiful wife back from Israel after being here for two weeks, now she would just find awesome. I thought to myself, you know what? The Dead Sea is known for its mud, and the mud has healing properties. People come from all over the world just to get that mud and to smear it all over. I'm going to get her mud. I'm going to get her a packet of mud from the Dead Sea. So I brought this back, and I presented to her a one-pound package of Dead Sea mud, and I thought, you're going to be so happy. And I began to spread that all over her, and she just began to cry. She thought that was the worst gift I could ever bring her. Here's the thing. Other than me having to learn to be a better gift giver, the Dead Sea, there's healing. There's life-giving properties in the Dead Sea. Why? Because when we die to our way, Frank Sinatra, I'll do it my way. When I die to my way and my things and my thinking and I move toward Jesus, I make famous in my life what Jesus has made famous in the world, things function better. Things function right. Jesus gets down into the mud, into the death and decay, and he reverses the pressure. That's what he does. It's not proof. It's pride that keeps me from that. It's not proof. It is pride that keeps me from that. So there's the M. We need to move towards Jesus, and we're going to have to deal with our pride to do that. Here's the, the U. The U in all of this is, is that we need to unlearn the things that don't work. We need to unlearn the things that don't work. Now, this man lived with blindness. He lived with blindness for a lot, a lot of years. He got used to his blindness. We get used to the things, way things are. Even if they don't, aren't working well, we get used to them. This is the way I've always done things. This is the way I've always seen things. This is the way I've always, whatever, right? It's the way things are. Jesus says you can't pour new wine into an old wineskin because it'll burst. It'll be how you have a mess all over the place. The Pharisees were unwilling to unlearn that's why at the end of this chapter, they're declared to be blind. They were unwilling to unlearn. Are you willing to unlearn some things? Now, Sabbath. Jesus heals the man on the Sabbath, and we're told in Genesis that God rests on the Sabbath day. What is the Sabbath, and what's the purpose of the Sabbath, and what am I supposed to do with the Sabbath? I know that um, when I was a kid, I was in a, it was in a church visiting a church, and man, they were preaching, preaching, preaching. Sinners work on the Sabbath. Sin, those sinners, they're working on, and man, just really coming down. Then after church, we all went out to eat at a restaurant and paid somebody for working on the Sabbath. Everybody, <laughs> what is the purpose of the Sabbath? And what is this rest? Rest, the right concept of rest is God has created a home. The Sabbath day is the most important day. That's the day that in their context, they were most interested in. It's the Super Bowl day. What is God going to do on that? He resides, in his, he resides in his temple, in the creation that he has made. He's here. God is here. He's not leaving. Okay. Does it mean that God's feet are up? No. It means he's residing. And when he's residing, it means he's working. He's in his house and he is at work. He's like a CEO making sure that his company is run right. Right? He's making sure that, thing, that the, all the trains are running on time, that things function as they're supposed to. That's what rest means. Rest doesn't mean your feet are up. 
When God says I'm going to, to the Israelites, I'm going to give you rest on every side. When God says in, in Matthew 11:28, "Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest." He's not saying find a drink and put the little umbrella in it. No, 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 no. He's saying I want you to work, but I want you to do good work that works, that makes things function right, not bad works that breaks things down and causes things not to function right. I want you to do good work. So here's here's what you got to do: got to unlearn some things that don't work. The Sabbath day is a great day, one day a week when you stop and you take account of your life and you say, what have I been doing this past week that doesn't work? What have I been doing this past week that is causing things to break down in my life, causing things to break down to a non-functioning, death and decaying type of place in other people's lives? What is it that I need to stop doing? So if the M is moving towards Jesus, that's your to-do list of what you want to do. And the U is to unlearn. It means you've got to have a not-to-do list. You need a to-do list and you need a not-to-do list. What are you not going to do? What is it you're going to stop doing? You've got to make a list this week of things you're going to stop doing. Last week, we talked about John Gottman. We talked about this amazing research he's done. We talked about all the scientific proof that he's come up with relationships. And he said this. He said, if you want to change your life, then you've got to stop making statements. That human beings make a lot of statements, and you've got to start asking open-ended questions. And boom, a light bulb went off in my head. I said, you know what? That's what I do. I need to unlearn that. I need to put that on my not-to-do list. That is my problem. I've got to stop doing that because I make a lot of statements and it's causing a lot of dirt in my life and I need to get to a better place. I got in a habit <clears throat> during quarantine. I hop in bed. I'm tired. It seems like I'm working longer hours than ever before and I hop in bed. I flip open the laptop and I just watch Netflix or something like that. Instead of, and that's death and decay. It's okay to do sometimes, but I need to ask Krista questions. I need quality time. I know quality time with her works. I need to ask them open-ended questions because that's what really works. That's what causes my life and our marriage and our home to function better. So I need to unlearn some of those bad habits. What is it you need to unlearn? Now, I was reading through some of uh, Gottman's questions. I was right on his, uh, I was right on his uh, <clears throat> website. And he's got this thing. He's got 10 questions that happy couples keep asking each other. I just want to give you a couple here. Now, you can, you can ask them. To your spouse, but you can ask them to a friend because you can adapt all this stuff. They're great questions. I encourage you to ask a friend some questions. Adapt some of this stuff. Stuff like, what is your best memory from childhood? Tell me about it. You know, when you're doing that, you're learning about somebody else. We're getting away some lazy habits that cause non-functioning stuff to happen and we're getting into some good habits. We're unlearning things that don't work to learn some things that do work. What's the best memory from childhood? What are your three biggest needs? Who has the best relationship, you know, in your life between family and friends and blah, 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 and why do they have such a great relationship? What's the best part of us being together? What are th kind of things do I do that actually annoy you? Okay, <clears throat> to-do list, move towards Jesus. Make famous in your life the things that he made famous. Not to-do list. Let's start some unlearning some things that aren't working like. And the last thing, the D, is dial into hope. Dial into hope. Now, I mentioned Netflix a few moments ago. You can watch The Last Dance by the Chicago Bulls, the 90s Bulls. It is awesome. It is, I'm thinking about watching it again. It is it's so awesome. Now, Michael Jordan goes to the Chicago Bulls, right? Mid 80s. They are a non functioning team. They haven't had any glory, any success. It's not, wor it's not working. It's all death and decay, Chicago Bulls. And he goes there and they win six rings and it's just glorious. It's incredible. It's awesome. And in episode 10 of The Last Dance, and he's reflecting 
on where they were and where they came to. And he said these words, it's so great. He says, it all started with hope. Hope is so important. The Bible says this about the Bible. It says everything written in the Bible is to give us hope. And if I'm reading the Bible and it's not giving me hope, then I need to do a little deeper research, a little deeper dive, because everything in here is to give me hope. And if I'm not drawing hope from it, then there's something wrong about the way I'm studying it. I need to see that it gives me hope is important. Our lives are meant to be saturated in hope. We're told in Hebrews that we should hang on to hope. We're told in Hebrews that Jesus Christ is our trustworthy anchor of hope. And then here is my prayer for you this week. Here's my prayer for every single one of you this week. I love Ephesians 1.18. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, granted God, the eyes of everybody's heart right now, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope. May God saturate and infuse your life with hope. That you may know the hope to which he has called you. God has called you and he wants to saturate your life in hope. I should wake up and say today is a day of hope. Man, if I'm really believing in Jesus Christ, that's what I'm doing. I should go to bed at night and say tonight is a night of hope. We should, our lives should just be fully saturated in hope. Well, listen, I love I love the way the Gospel of John brings together the practical, right, with the supernatural, the physical with the spiritual. And in the hands of God, Jesus Christ, as I move towards God, as I unlearn some things and I dial into hope, he gets into death and decay and the things that I'm worried about and fearful about and that are non-functioning in my life. And if I allow him, if I'll admit, it's not proof, it's pride, if I'll admit some of these things and move towards him, oh man, he reverses. Now, all of us did something awesome. We have helped to build what we call the Grace Home. There are a group of wonderful individuals living in Arlington County, and they have some severe physical limitations. There are things about their physical bodies that aren't working right. They have some mental limitations. There are things about their minds that aren't working right. What are we going to do about it? Of course we're going to pray. We're going to pray God help them. God God bless them. We're going to, of course, but we are also going to do some practical things. We're going to get down in that dirt. Now, in this case, this is a very sophisticated home that has some very sophisticated elements to it so that the residents that live there, seven residents that will live there, can function in a way that their life is just going to be better. So we teamed up, and $250,000 is what we raised to do this last year, $250,000, that's some serious money. So we got, and that home, it started in the dirt. It started in the mud, but out of that mud, with us and our prayers and our desire to honor Jesus Christ by making famous what he made famous, we see out of that death and decay of that dirt, a home is coming out, and you're gonna have seven individuals, you've changed their lives. You've changed your life. Now, we're going to have a ribbon-cutting ceremony sometime in September. But for now, here is a look at what the home looks like now. It's getting close to being done. Take it away, Anna.